talk about it, talk about it. Don't let it sit on your mind. When you talk about it, talk about it. This is your girl, Teresa Sophia, and you are now tuned into the Mindful Podcast. I have one of my like favorite people in the world. I got so excited when he walked into the room because I haven't seen him in years. One of my friends, Davith Cheth, and I have Sue Lin on the phone. She wasn't able to come in today. Uh, there's a lot going on just in Massachusetts in general with these gas leaks and so many different things, life. So she wasn't able to bless us with her presence today, but she's here on the phone. So say what's up, everybody. Hello, 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 hello. Hi, guys. Good, so good evening, everyone. <laughs> so can I just uh, hear you guys give a little background on who you are so our listeners know a little bit about you? David? Hi, my name is David Chet, a queer Cambodian immigrant. I live in Lynn, Massachusetts. And I went to college with Teresa. Yeah, <laughs> fun fact. Sulin. Yes, hello. My name is Sulin Gare. I am Kenyan. I've been here since 96. I came here when I was six years old. 27 years old at the moment. I will be 28 in two weeks. So shout out to my Libras. Libra. Um, <laughs> Wait, when's your birthday? September 28th is my birthday. Oh, Ooh. mine's the so, t- October 10th. So. I, I will be... <laughs> I think it's about Aquarius. And the 28th, which is like the golden year. Like It's sort of mm, like a big deal. Cool. I'm about to be 28 yes. too. So we're all about to be 28. No, I'm about to be 27. So. You're about to... Oh, oh, yeah. squeeze oh. me. We got a baby in the room. Young and fresh. Okay, wow. Young well, and fresh. We're about yeah. to be golden. It's <laughs> the golden age. So Sulin is actually our mental health professional for this episode. So do you want to just talk about yes. what your background is exactly? I am a clinician at Leahy Health. And I also do care coordinator as I take on cases of different diagnoses behind each case. I work with a different variety of people from bipolar, schizo, and it's different because now we have this new program and it's more outreach. So you meet the client where they are, you meet them where they are. Mm. Instead of them coming to you, you go to them. That's awesome. Yeah, and it could be in different places, and sometimes it could be dangerous. So mm. you got to bring, like, a buddy and pal with you. There's Lawrence. There's Lowell. We have different locations everywhere, including Lynn, Woburn, Malden, everywhere. Nice. Everywhere. Nice. So you'll be able yeah. to, as we talk about the immigrant and first-generation experience, maybe you can not just pull from personal, but also from the work that you do because you do see a lot of different people. So before we dive into that conversation, which I'm super excited about because I do feel like I talk about it a lot amongst my circles, but I don't really hear different platforms talking about the immigrant experience from especially the backgrounds in the room, Haitian, Kenyan, Cambodian. But like, how are you guys feeling? I want to know. Well, and the Kenyan community, I'm not going to speak entirely for the Africa, the whole African community. In the Kenyan community, it's not really taken seriously. Oh, no. Even. How are you feeling? I want to assess Sue Lin. How are you feeling right now first? 
Oh, how I'm feeling. I am feeling very exhausted, overwhelmed, mm-hmm. and I am I am just tired. It's been a it's been a rough couple weeks, months. Honest truth. But I am feeling like, you know, I'm optimistic that there's nice. better days. I'm just taking it day by day and go from there. Nice. So, Devith, how are you feeling? I'm actually feeling really good lately in contrast to, I feel like, during the summer with all the eclipses and mm-hmm. the retrogrades and stuff. I feel like now, I'm like, because... We're approaching Libra season, I think. Mm-hmm. My inner Libra is like flourishing and I feel like super <laughs> yes. balanced, super no, no. grounded. Yeah. And I feel like I've been like feeling really good, like mentally that's about good. myself and stuff like that. So that's good. That is so good. Mm-hmm. That's great. Nice. Thank you. Aww. So I'm, I'm glad there's so much positivity. I feel like it's infectious because I was <laughs> feeling kind of. Uh, off today but um now that i'm here with you guys and speaking to you i feel so much better so i wanted to start off by just talking through my experience with my mental health and kind of the conversations or lack thereof that happened in my household so as a haitian american as a young person i often found myself telling my mom and i don't know where i even got the idea of what therapy was and the idea of speaking to people probably from TV because that's where I got everything. And I would just often say like, mommy, I want to, I want to speak to someone. I just feel like my thoughts are racing. My thoughts are racing. That was the thing that I would always say. And, um, it was always met with just put all of your worries in the hands of God, just like pray (laughs) and everything will be all right. And like, It was often met with the word crazy, too. Like, you're not crazy. They associated me seeing someone to talk about my racing thoughts, quote unquote, with being crazy. So that was kind of where I learned about the stigma about mental health was from the ideas and the words that my parents would use around it. But then it got to a Mm -hmm. point where maybe like three years ago now that I had a conversation with my mother again, just like same conversation that I was having when I was younger. Like, I feel like I need something outside of prayer. I need something outside of going for a run. Like I need something else to complement these things. And then she just said, well, if you feel like there's things that I didn't do for you growing up and there's things that you feel like you can fix in other ways, explore those avenues. So that's when I did that's when I found therapy. I found a life coach. I, I found different ways to express myself. So I want to know what was the conversations like when you were younger, if you were experiencing, if you had a similar experience in having quote unquote racing thoughts or struggles with your identity or feeling sadness, like how did you guys deal with that when you were younger? And what were the conversations like with your parents at that age? So one thing that strike a chord with me when you were talking about your experience with talking to your mom is that in Cambodia, this actually, the word like mental health mm. does not exist. Mm-hmm. We don't have any vocabulary to talk about mental health illness or mm-hmm. how to like cope with it and stuff like that. And also, I feel like when I was little and, you know, coming into my own sense of like sexuality and 
sexual identification and stuff like that, I couldn't talk to my mom about it. Mm -hmm. And if something bothers me and it makes me feel like angry or sad Mm -hmm. or like I feel like I just want to cry, my community is one of those communities where you're just like, you're a boy, Mm -hmm. don't cry. Mm -hmm. Be stronger, like be better. So you were fed this narrative of your gender, what your gender is supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like mental health in general is a very new thing mm-hmm. that people in our generation is talking about. I feel like that didn't really exist, at least in Cambodia, before like 2015. I agree. I think on a lot of different yeah. levels, whether it's my experience growing up here, Cambodia, that this is something that is now recently at the forefront of different movements and it's a blessing it's great that it is at the forefront now but it's still there's still a lot of unpacking and trauma from generations before that aren't really looking at it as a priority still even though i feel like millennials are kind of pushing it to be what about you sulin what was your experience when you were younger my go-to 100 percent was my mother and i was very good at another coping skill i exhibited was like writing I love mm-hmm. to write, mm-hmm. even writing my thoughts before I went to sleep or writing about my day. So it was my mom and it was writing. Mm-hmm. But as I got older, my mom wasn't really around because now your first Americans, like your parents are immigrants here trying to make a living. So mm-hmm. she kind of evaporated because she had to work and she did doubles mm-hmm. and she did triples. So she wasn't really there for me like she was prior to that. So I didn't really have anyone to go to that physically. I still had my journal, but physically she wasn't there. And that that was a huge missing aspect in my life. So my dad left. He wasn't really around. And then I got into a relationship. It wasn't the healthiest relationship, but I got into this relationship. I had a child. Mm-hmm. And then after having the child, I, I experienced like really deep postpartum depression. And I, I didn't really think that was real, mm-hmm. but <laughs> that's just real. Again, my mom wasn't there, really, as mm-hmm. much as I would have liked her, because she was always working. So, when so you then did... I had to deal with these things by myself, like these mm-hmm. demons inside my head. Mm-hmm. And your body is already going through a lot of changes on top of that. And now your whole life has changed because you're looking at a human being like, oh, my God, I made that. I'm responsible for that, for that human being mm-hmm. now. So at the time, uh, you're doing it all by yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's another, it just adds to the depression. It adds to your anxiety. It adds to all these other factors. So um, at that point, that's when I lost a lot of weight. Mm. And that's one thing I've, I've learned looking back, especially with the field that I do now. You cannot take care of others if you're not taking care of yourself. So I'm looking at my son, I'm feeding him, I'm bathing him, but... I'm not taking care of myself, so I'm getting weaker and weaker and weaker. But by the end of the day, he needs me, and I'm not really strong enough for him. Yeah. I know you you, you mentioned that you had a strong relationship with your mom, and you confided in your mother um, when you were younger. But during your, your pregnancy time and then your post-pregnancy time, when you were experiencing this depression, did you confide in your mother about some of the depression and the symptoms that you were feeling? I did, but she wasn't the happiest. Like, 
through, you were supposed to finish your master's, you know, mm. the whole, you, we came to America for you to have a better life, not for you to be having, popping kids by 24, 25. I think that added to my depression because it's like, damn, I, I disappointed my parents. And some to this day, I still have some thoughts that I think like, oh my God, I, I wasn't really good enough. I wasn't really up there enough. Like, you know, you, you feel like you're not good enough and you didn't do well enough. Mm-hmm. And there's in the African community, there's also a lot of comparison. Like, oh, look at this one. She mm-hmm. went to pharmacy school and she went, she became a doctor and you're just here as you're just doing social work. What's that really? Mm-hmm. Especially back then, that wasn't really like, what, what is social work? Yeah. That's like kind of like equivalent to like they being... A teacher, like, how are you going to provide for anyone if you're a social worker? So even in school, I was being pushed to do biochemistry and Mm -hmm. to be a doctor. And that's not me. Like I said, I like writing. I'm not really a math person. Yeah. I think that's a theme in a a Mm -hmm. lot of different backgrounds. (laughs) Right. Me and Tavith were struggling in biology together, struggling in organic chemistry. I failed organic chemistry three times. And not because I wasn't smart enough to do it. Because after I graduated, I took the summer course because I feel like I start paying attention to it. I'm like, oh, like reactions in organic chemistry are just puzzles. Mm -hmm. I'm good at Mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. It was just like... I feel like there's, for me, like, some kind of, like, deep down, like, revolt in mm. college. Because before I went to college, my senior year of high school, I remember, ex- like, specifically being in the car with my parents. Mm-hmm. And I told them, I was like, Mom and Dad, I really want to be a history teacher. Mm. Because I'm so good with history. Yeah. And my parents was like, uh, no, you're not. You're going to be a doctor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And I was like, oh, what? <laughs> right. There's this totally pressure relate. to I succeed. So, so even like with my parents, they're like a master's is a minimum. If you come home right. with less than a master's, then it's like, it's nothing. Yeah. It's like to them, it was like a high school diploma. And I felt like I had to feed into this pressure because it's like, Not that they guilted me with sacrifice, but growing up, you do watch what your parents sacrifice. My mom wasn't able to go to school here. She has her degree in Haiti, but she wasn't able to go to school here because she had to raise two kids and then three kids when my brother was born. And I had to see her sacrifice her education. I had to see her work long hours. I had to see her go through so much, even being a single parent at one point. And it's like, When I was studying, when I was reading, whatever, I was just like, I need to, everything I do, even to this day, I'm just Mm -hmm. like, I want to make sure my parents know that their sacrifice was not in vain, that they came here, that they learned a new language, that they had to adapt to this American culture, and they went through people making fun of them for not speaking their language. And mind you, my parents are brilliant. My parents are exception they're amazing they're the smartest people i know no matter what background they're very intelligent and for them to tell me that they struggled or my mom's actually really confident and i feel like my parents are actually very resilient and they did a good job at protecting themselves and i actually wanted them to come on to this podcast but they're just like no 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 like what what am i going to say i don't know yeah not yet i'm like i feel like i feel like they'll push through later but right now it's yeah, like, no, I'm like, you I, would be I, able I to help so many people because they just, 
my mom is just able to like brush things off. Like the horror stories that she has told me about working, especially she's working with a lot of white colleagues and being a dark skinned woman, having an accent coming here, not when she was young, coming here in her like late twenties. So her accent is pretty thick. But just people assuming that because she she has an accent that she's dumb. And like my dad always says And this, uneducated. And uneducated. Mm-hmm. And this my dad always says this quote that I love, love, love. He's just like, I may speak with an accent, but I don't think with one. And it's just Ooh. Yeah. And I just loved it. So it was like just seeing them go through all those struggles and me also knowing that I can do it, I just put a lot of pressure on myself to achieve high amazing things all the time and even when i was teaching like we get this message when we're really young too yeah for sure because when i was teaching like i would have moments where i'd have my students talk about identity and um this was a topic that a lot of them would because i was teaching in the bronx mostly latino community and they would be like yeah i feel pressure to get all a's like if i go home and i get a b like I'm getting yelled at. I'm getting grounded. I might be getting like a whooping. And then it's like they see their parents struggle in the same way that we're talking about. So they feel like they have to. So that I feel like that has been something that has always weighed on on my mind. So one thing that stood out when, um, when you were talking about that experience is this idea of adapting to American culture. Mm. And I feel like that culture exists and is being represented as i don't know like white heteronormative culture Mm. you know what i mean Mm -hmm. where in order to succeed and get the white picket american dream you have to go to college get Mm -hmm. a good job Mm -hmm. afterward get married and have kids and you can't put your life into an equation and follow like a formula and Mm -hmm expect yourself to be happy people are different Mm -hmm. and so sometimes when my parents talk about things that they expect from me like now i'm just like i don't want to do that that's Mm -hmm. that's not me i just want to be myself Mm -hmm. i think at a point we just kind of cut that umbilical cord that's what i always say you got to cut your umbilical cord from your parents and just be your own person Mm -hmm. make your own choices it's kind of like ah i'm rebelling against my parents that sacrificed so much for me and sometimes when your plan doesn't work you're like damn you know i kind of effed up you know i should have i should have just listened to my parents some people think that way at the end of the day life is you don't have a script in life you don't have a script Mm -hmm. and as much as our parents want us to succeed and be successful for everything that that they've done coming from a different country and i know sometimes our parents don't like to see us struggling especially financially Mm -hmm. you know i feel like at a point we just have to be our own like he said we have to be our own person Mm -hmm. and if we succeed great if not that's just part of our plan in life I think not, like not meaning that you're going to be a failure forever, no. Yeah, no. yeah. And I also just want to say to everyone out there that every single one of you are special and you have the ability to succeed in what you are passionate and what you want to do, mm-hmm. like what you are interested in. Mm-hmm. That's a message right there. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Seriously. Especially, yeah. I feel like in America... And I always tell my parents, like, this is why you came here so that I could have multiple avenues outside of being a doctor, lawyer, 
nurse or whatever Amen. to make my money. Mm-hmm. And then I just start like listing off examples like this person didn't go to college. This person created this. As long as you have the creativity, the drive, you know your purpose. I feel like there's an avenue for you to make the money. And our parents came here for the avenue to get access to the avenue. So if you're struggling out there, use that spiel. Hopefully yeah. it works. It yeah. might not because our parents still have this linear view of what success means. But just show them. I would say just try showing them. Yeah. Also, how like success should look like. So I know a lot of people are pressured to get married and have children mm. or finish your master's first. There's like um, levels to this. So if things don't work out how you want the level to work out, it's okay. Life can still go on. Life can still go on. That's mm-hmm. another message. So since you guys came here, I want to know, even similar to the experience that I explained from like my parents and like language, how was it for you? Did you guys get, because you guys came probably like elementary school, around that age, both of yeah. you. So like, what was the reception from the teachers, the students, like, how did you deal with learning another language? How did you deal with learning another culture? Well, luckily, when we first came here, my dad was going to go get his master's at University of Alabama. So we were residing in Alabama. We stayed there for about four years. Alabama was an experience because as excited as I was to see America, I guess they weren't really excited to see Africans right off the plane. Not the boat, the plane. Um, (laughs) 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 Elementary school was an experience for me. That's when I experienced firsthand racism. Mm. My mom also had a degree and like mentioned before, my dad was coming here to get his master's. He picked up like a job at Pizza Hut. And then my mom was a housekeeper cleaning houses. Okay. So we stayed there like about four years. When I went to school, I already knew a little bit of English. My main language at the time was Swahili. And then it got to a point where I just adapted to the English language because I'm like, "Ah, now now I'm in a different place. I got to adapt to speaking English. Mm -hmm. Then even in the home, as much as my parents were speaking to me in my language, I just was like, no, speak to me in English. We're in America. We're in America. Not realizing, looking back, wow, now you've lost your native tongue. You've lost your identity of where you where you were from because, uh, quote-unquote, you were kind of ashamed. So you don't speak Swahili anymore? I only understand it now. Mm. That's how much I pushed it aside. So when in school, the racism was so bad, I was getting picked at. Even when I confronted somebody that was black, like the same skin tone as me, she still looked down on me because I'm African and she was African-American. You're Mm -hmm. different, you know? Mm -hmm. So... I still felt huge isolation, huge isolation, very, like, insecure at that time. You know, when you're being called all these names, you're from Africa, you know, African booty stature. Mm-hmm. I had my braids and my beads, and I thought it was the cutest thing ever, mm-hmm. but apparently <laughs> not. So it got so bad that my mom actually went to the school, requested I get a different teacher, and they moved me to a teacher that was African-American black which I was more comfortable with, but it was worse too because my parents also experienced racism in their workplace. Then it got to a point where they sat down and they're like, okay, this might not be the best place Mm. to be. 
Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, there were Confederate flags everywhere. Like yeah, Alabama. Racism was in the nineties. Oh yeah. No. <laughs> oh yeah. I just cringed. Like, yeah. No, thank you. It was bad. <laughs> so um, as soon as we got here, I mean, it got a little better. Mm-hmm. But now it's just like, damn. Now I'm trying to influence my mom to keep speaking the language so she can teach my son. It's really important. Now I'm like, you know, when you're kind of woke, when you're growing up, you start waking up and you're like, damn, so you were so dumb. Mm-hmm. Why were you so ashamed? Oh, my God, it was that bad. The influence was that bad. It's, I used to come home and cry. It yeah. was bad. That I feel really like bad. you can be mad, but you can't be mad because they were trying to protect you and they were trying to protect themselves. And like one of my favorite things, too, about just this generation in general is we're realizing the wrongdoings of our parents. We're realizing the generational trauma and we're we're undoing it and we're changing what our story is going to be like for these future generations. So I think it's dope that you're doing that with your son. That's amazing. You're revitalizing the culture that was taken away from you. And um, yeah, I feel like with Haitians, it was it was very similar. So because I was Haitian American, I didn't really get like the HBO's like Haitian body odor or like you smell like corn chips or like you can't match because I was very Americanized. And not that I disassociated myself with being Haitian. I didn't at a young age. It's very telling that in your story with that little girl, it's like you thought you were cute. You thought you was popping until somebody else told you you wasn't. <laughs> like, that's like the story. Like, a lot of my insecurities come from situations like that. I thought I was popping when I was young. You are popping. No, I know. I am. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. But, like, it's because I'm changing how I view myself because I was aware that I let other people affect me. When I was younger, I was proud to be Haitian. Like, it was just like I identified as being Haitian American. But then when I got to college and then it was more in my face that the Haitians stuck with the Haitians and the Haitian Americans stuck with the Haitian Americans. And I feel like I almost even disassociated myself with the Haitians. And I started a little bit to believe what other people were saying that it's hard for me to even say about like my own people because knowing that. I have all this family who is from Haiti and I frequent Haiti very, very often. But like, I didn't want to like, I I was like, no, those are off the boat Haitians. And I'm like Haitian American. And like, there was even like a Haitian club at my high school. I didn't join the Haitian club. I joined because that was the off the boat Haitians. I joined, I think it was like the Caribbean club or something Mm -hmm. along those lines. But then at least I repped that I was Haitian, but at that time, it was not cool. So, like, a lot of people would be like, no, I'm just black. Or, no, I'm just, I'm Cape Verdean or whatever. And they would have the most French last name. And I'm just yeah. like, mm. And I went to college with a lot of these same people. And you would see a complete shift. And they would be, I feel like college is, like, the point where we start really yeah. knowing who we are and coming into who we are. So then, like, I would see people yeah. who denied being Haitian in high school go to college and then be like, on the executive board for the Haitian American Student Association. And I'm just like, good for you. Other people make it really hard to be who we are. I think it's a maturity thing, too. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. my experience with coming to America, I came here when I was nine. Mm -hmm. And shout out to Shoemaker Elementary School. And Woo woo, Shoemaker. (laughs) I don't know what that is, but shout them out. (laughs) And so right when... We got to America, we live in Lynn, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. and 
thank God, it's a very diverse city. Nice. One of, like, the most diverse city in Massachusetts. And there's a lot of um, Southeast Asian communities, um, a lot of Cambodian. So when I was put into the ESL class, mm-hmm. that was kind of my crew. Mm-hmm. I have, like, friends from, like, Sudan, mm-hmm. um, from Kenya, Ethiopia, you know, and, like, all over the place. And that was my crew. But then when I was moved from the ESL class to the mainstream class, I remember specifically this kind of like a shift in my mentality where I'm like, oh, like, I'm kind of like part of the the normative culture now. Mm. Like, if I act quote unquote white, mm-hmm. if I do all of these quote unquote white activity like joining the mad club mm-hmm. social suicide <laughs> <laughs> then um, right. then it's like i will fit in better mm-hmm. and that narrative was a thing for me until i got when i got to college and then i thank god like joined this what was it what's the name of our thing it's it was a residential emerging, emerging scholars program yeah emerging yeah. scholars and it's this one part of the dorm where it's just student of color from mm-hmm. all different background and we would take honor classes together and that was my first experience opening myself to be aware of like other people's culture mm-hmm. the immigrant oh. experience like you can be an immigrant but you don't think about it because you didn't have to mm-hmm. until you're at a place where mm. you're like, oh, like now, like I'm kind of like more exposed. Now I'm more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, I get it. I get it. It's almost even like me going to another country and not realizing that I'm different until I'm in a position where I am different and yeah. I'm going to Haiti and I'm speaking Creole with a very thick american accent and then like i'm stuttering and like then i feel self-conscious and it's like i'm too cambodian and too brown to to be the image of what american should be Mm. but when i go to cambodia i'm too american to be Mm. cambodian so it's kind of like this like double-edged sword that was gonna be my next question like how do you feel i feel like it's almost like limbo jump rope like having two different identities how was that for you sue how was that for you balancing between being kenyan and american did you ever feel like you weren't in the same way like david was weren't enough of either yes for me personally i went back home i still consider it home i went back to kenya in about um 2013 you can tell i'm kenyan because hello my forehead my five head does it all but um, <laughs> when when I went to Kenya, I that's, too, that's how a lot of Kenyans are identified by their forehead. Shout out to my Kenyans out there um, with the foreheads. <laughs> but once I once I went there, you could tell people were like, "She's American." Off mm. the bat, I I also remember like going to the store and my cousin telling me not to speak because if I spoke, they could tell like I have that American accent, mm-hmm. and they'll increase their prices because they mm. think I have money because I came to America. Even when I was speaking to like my grandmother and my cousins, oh my God, you are, you sound so American. I guess like my American side took over the mm-hmm. Kenyan side mm-hmm. from what, what I was hearing. So I felt to me personally, when I went back to America, I felt a little more comfortable being around the Kenyan community. That's mm-hmm. my personal experience. 
I also, like a lot of people that are my friends or that I surround myself with are also first generation that came here at a young age. Mm -hmm. So we can relate a lot to experiencing that like uncertainty between the two Mm -hmm. and like, eh, I don't know if I'm more here. It's like a seesaw, Mm -hmm. you know, you're like, Mm -hmm. "Uh, uh," Mm -hmm. you know, so like I go to them and we talk, oh my God, can you believe? Or even things when it comes to like just personal things, like when it comes to relationships, when it comes to experiencing things at work, mm-hmm. school, anything of that matter, I feel more comfortable being with them, which also brings it back to when my grandmother died. Like I said, I came here at a young age. So all those years, of course, I, I was crying when my grandma passed away, mm-hmm. but we didn't have like that huge personal relationship. I didn't really have a personal, personal relationship with her. Mm -hmm. If anything, I felt like I was hurt more from how my dad reacted to the death, you know, like seeing him hurt was made Mm -hmm. me hurt. Mm -hmm. But like when my recent friend just passed away from suicide, Kenyon as well, came here the same age as I came here. I think that hit me more than it hit like any death that I've experienced. So sorry about your friend. Yeah. So thank you guys. It's just like, it hits a lot of um it hits a lot of like topics so mm-hmm. it's not just being Kenyan American and growing here it also hits the mental illness topic it also hits the Kenyans now being more awake aw- like woke to mm-hmm. mental illness mm-hmm. before it was never even discussed or talked about now it's like i think a lot of people are screaming for help so shout out to Teresa. Yo, for real. For opening this podcast. I'm so like, proud I, of she you. She deserves a gold Thank star you. and an award. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I Sorry that you had to lose someone, but I often feel like some of the good things that happen from death is that it makes people realize life is short. You can't take things for granted. Um, sometimes people say like, someone has to die for people to realize certain things or for there to be progress. And uh, if this is sparking a conversation within the Kenyan community where you live, I think that's dope. So my experience being the child of an immigrant, and thank you guys for the shout out and complimenting me, but I feel like because I was given access, because I was able to go to school, because I can speak the language and people say I'm articulate, even though I don't believe it, but I feel like because I have all of those things and this just ties back to pressure... I feel like it's my obligation to push certain social movements forward that I I truly believe in. So I'm more than happy to use my platform and the things that I've been granted with as tools to push the conversation. So thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think that we also, as immigrants and POC, we have this kind of like self imposed pressure mm-hmm. in term of for me personally that thought in my head of like you're not Cambodian enough you're mm. not American enough mm-hmm. and it's just one mm-hmm. of those things where like you're not mm-hmm. you are you you, you are you yeah. you are a Cambodian immigrant that came to live in America yeah that's that's just one part of who I am yeah I can't just like look at my Cambodian side or my american side Mm -hmm. but lately for me i've been very intentional about trying to reclaim my my culture for myself Mm. that means you know expose myself to 
Cambodian music, exposed、mm-hmm. myself to Cambodian media,、mm-hmm. and it also just kind of like made me appreciate. Living in America, it sounds like a very difficult thing to say,、mm-hmm. especially under this atmosphere and this yeah. administration. Yeah. But one thing that I like to remind people of is that we have a privilege in America、mm-hmm. to be having this opportunity.、Mm-hmm. A queer Cambodian man is sitting across the table from a first-generation Haitian woman、mm-hmm. on the phone with. A Kenyan immigrant.、Mm-hmm. If I was living in Cambodia, the chance of that happening、mm-hmm. is like zero to none. Preach. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's a privilege. Yeah, it's bad, and I think it's our responsibility to to check in with one another and to remind one another that sometimes, like some of us, need a little bit more loving than normal. Some of us, so. If you're at a good place, take care of people around you.、Mm. And if you are in a、yeah. bad place, don't be afraid to ask for help.、Mm-hmm. Like there's always good people out there that wants to help. Like Teresa. Stop! It's not about me, guys. Stop making it about me. <laughs> Yo, I'm just loving you so much.、So. I love you too. I love you too. I'm so thankful you guys came on and shared your experience. Is there anything else as we wrap up? Is there anything else that you want to share with any of the listeners listening right now? Yes. We can talk about things that like people do to you know relax their minds.、Mm. Like I know, like with coping skills, some people like to write, some people like to go to the gym. What are some things that you guys like to do to just get away from the stress in everyday life? I like to be in nature. I, I love to、oh, hike. Yeah. yeah, same. I like anything that reminds me of just like innocence of like being a child. Yeah. So I, I grew up with a huge backyard, and we used to go on like field trips in the the backyard, and we just stay outside in the woods for hours. So anything that like gets me outside, I grew up fishing. So like fishing, being in water in general, swimming. One of my like guilty coping skills is even like ratchet TV, which is like a double edged sword <laughs> because it's like <laughs> it's negative messaging, but then it's just like it allows me to just not think about anything. Like it, it just allows、That's、me to just、on. laugh at whatever is happening on the screen. Whatever, it's crazy. I won't dive yeah, into what exactly I watch, but you know the scripted shows are everything. I I totally get it. <laughs> For me. I love to be active. I can't sit still. I have way too much energy for myself. My self care and self love ritual is: I try to meditate ten to fifteen minutes a day.、Mm-hmm. I write five things that I'm grateful for yes, in a journal. Yes, gratitude list. And awesome. You know, like sometime in the morning when I wake up, like I'm not even awake yet. I'm like, I love you, David.、Mm. I, like I try to like say that to myself, like. Three to five times, or like、mm-hmm. even sometime when I'm driving,、mm-hmm. and you realize how difficult、mm-hmm. it is to say that to yourself at first,、mm-hmm. because society make it seem so hard and so impossible to to love yourself.、Mm-hmm. And they they interpret it as being like narcissistic or no, it's not.、Right. It's, exactly, like, it's not. Exactly,、yeah. that's、it's、a perfect、right. segue into、um, my mindful moment. So. 
with each episode, I want to end with a mindful moment. And again, if this is the first episode that you're tuning into, being mindful just means being in the present moment. So not thinking about the past, not thinking about the future, not judging yourself, not being attached to any one thought, but just having your thoughts be fluid, come and go. And so I want you and even you, Sulin, if you can sit down, I don't know what you're doing right now, but if you can, siéntate por favor. And I want you to do a body scan. Make sure your spine is straight, eyes slightly closed, relaxed, arms resting. Put your hand on your heart and think of someone that you see regularly that makes you happy. It could be someone you know or someone you don't know that well, even a family pet. As you imagine this someone, see them with a big smile on their face. Hear them laughing about something funny and feel their positive energy. Now, as you keep your hand placed on your heart, let your heart fill up with kindness until it's so full it might burst. Now, send all this kindness to the person, allowing it to flow directly from your heart to their heart. As you let this kindness continue to flow from heart to heart, repeat silently. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you be peaceful. May you be strong. May your heart be filled with love and kindness. And I'm going to repeat that one more time. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you be peaceful. May you be strong. May your heart be filled with love and kindness. When you're doing that, you should sit quietly for a few moments as you continue to send these kind thoughts. So that is our mindful practice for today. Replay that segment over and over again whenever you feel like. That makes me feel like I should make it like a mindful mixtape. That would be really (laughs) cool. But thank you guys so much for being on the Mindful Podcast. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm having so much fun. Thank you, Teresa. are wonderful. Thank you. I'm, I'm excited you guys got to contribute and share your experiences. Until next time, we are out.